0: A couple weeks ago on Mother's Day, I shared a message called Focus or Seek the Provider, Not the Provisions. And, and at the end of that message, I issued two challenges. And one was obviously focus on Mother's Day. And that is recognizing your mother for who she is and who God sees her to be as the provider. Not necessarily what she's done or can do or should have done or, or shouldn't have done for you, but who she has provider. And the second one, I called the first five. You know, we're so good if we pray before bed to thank God for all that he's done for us in our life That day. Right. Even last night, I I caught myself doing this. You know, it was a beautiful day. It was a very productive day. I'm sore today, which means I actually worked yesterday. Um, It's a good sign. I'm still alive. You feel pain. You're still alive. Right. Um, And the first five and, and the point of the first five was because when you pray first thing in the morning, there hadn't been a whole lot happening yet. And so you can focus more on who he is and not what he's done. You can focus on who he is and the promise of maybe what he's going to be doing that day. And maybe it's praying for things like these opportunities we mentioned earlier to to be an example to someone else, to reflect his love. And I was thinking about that as I was at the computer this morning and I hear Sherry's snooze go off. Nine minutes, right? Maybe we could up our game and hit snooze and then we take those nine minutes. Yeah. I know you. How do I know you weren't? Because I heard you snore. <laughs> but anyway, I do want to encourage you to keep trying these things, to really put a focus on who God is, is the provider, not the provisions. We are very good at thanking him for his provisions. And and like I said, sometimes we should thank him for nothing. And I don't mean that disrespectful. I mean, again, if you have children and everybody's healthy and happy and there's no blood spilling anywhere or no one's fighting, thanks for nothing like that today, so God is good, God is good, but you can see the words on the screen behind me, right, quit and yield and and surrender, and these have a little bit of a negative connotation, especially if we're somewhat competitive in nature, which we we tend to be, and we are told to never quit, to to never yield or give in, and certainly we are to never, ever surrender. Life can be difficult at times, and and Jesus' own words told us that in this life, you will have trouble, Jesus promises that you will have trouble. So don't get frustrated about that. It's just the way it is. And he promises he'll be with you. In fact, that's the thing. It's it's sometimes I think as Christians, we have more trouble because we're a little more sensitive, or maybe we think that we shouldn't have this kind of trouble, but we do. Jesus did. He faced the same issues, same temptations we do today. He says, You will have trouble. But when you are looking to God's word for encouragement, there are many scriptures that provide comfort and inspiration. Some of these you'll recognize from 1 Corinthians 9.24. This is is Paul, and Paul must have been a runner because he liked to reference running a lot. He says, do you know that in a race, all the runners win, but only one gets the prize? He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, Paul is a big proponent of never giving up, but certainly you'll never get that prize if you stop running. In Galatians 6, 9, also from the Apostle Paul, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Right, we're familiar with these. Don't give up, keep trying, keep trying. Philippians four thirteen. you know this one by heart. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Don't give up. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's not even going to give up on you. He's got a purpose for your life. And and you've heard me say this, you know, try again. Not try harder. Try again. Because sometimes we get hung up on this try harder Christianity thing, right? I messed up. I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I yelled at my kids. Or I kicked the dog. Which you shouldn't do that either. But, you know, whatever it is, Don, you're giving yourself away. <laughs> but... But you do that and you're saying, I'm sorry. And, and you, you try again. You don't beat yourself up for that stuff because you get so hung up and you start hearing this negative self-talk that says, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be the person God wants me to be. And that's absolutely not true. Perhaps you lean on one of those verses when you're starting to feel urge to, to give up or, or you start feeling discouraged. Perhaps you lean more on a verse that gives you strength and courage to push through whatever it is like, Joshua 119 says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. These are God's words. Do not be afraid. Do not be scourged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Be courageous. Be strong. The Bible has many, many passages like these. And maybe you've got a favorite. Does anybody have a favorite they lean on? And you don't have to have it perfect. I'm not gonna ask you where it's at. It's not a, a Bible test. I just wanna know, is there something that you lean on? Yeah, what is it, Patrick? Uh, From Peter. uh, But about not worrying, like he referred to the birds. Right. The birds don't worry about where they're going to get their food. Right. They're going to have shelter. They know it will be provided for them. All they have to do is go and do what they do. Right. The birds, right. The birds don't worry. Right. And the verse says, they don't reap and they don't sow. They don't worry. And you know what the end of that, that verse says? You cannot add a single moment to your life with worry. That's right. That's right. That's right. What do you have? 23rd Psalm. 23rd Psalm. Great one. Great one. It'll walk you through those dark moments. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? You know me. James 1, 2 through 3, right? Consider it joy when you face troubles of all kinds because it is through the testing that you will develop perseverance, right? I can do all things to him right. And you don't have to say it verbatim. You don't have to, as long as you know the spirit. Now, yes, we shouldn't know God's word and stuff like that. But in the moment, no one's going to go, is that Peter three or Peter four? You're just like, I know. Yeah, some people will, but you know what? (laughs) Those are the people making you feel like that. Don't let that trip you up. up. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, you know, you go look and see that and read it in context. It's fun. And sometimes, you know, we get familiar with these verses and read the next one or two after or before it and hear the context. There's so much more. I often, you know, read John three sixteen, right? But if you read 17 and then read 18 and, and then you hear the rest of the story as Paul Harvey would say, right? right? It's true. So I want to encourage you to seek these out. But, you know, we know the story of Moses, right? Leading the Israelites through the wilderness. But, we know where he was leading them. We know how long he led them, 40 years, right? Moses did not. Nowhere along the way did he know how much further or where he was going. In fact, if you were to, to look at the map, it kind of circled back on itself a couple times. And along the way, not only was, was, was there a temptation to quit, but also the restlessness of the people he was leading, I mean, his own people, the ones that he rescued said this. It's found in Exodus fourteen twelve. He says, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now I call those wilderness seasons. You know, they talk about wandering through the wilderness. And I don't know what your picture of the wilderness is. We know it's not a jungle based on where they were. But a wilderness is often just a barren land. And so many times in your life, you find yourself in this wilderness season how much longer, where am I going, right? And that, really, you have to rely on your faith, and sometimes God will put you in that wilderness season for a couple reasons. One, maybe he's trying to grow that faith, you know? Why don't you lean on me just a little longer? And the other thing is, he's probably moving around some pretty big pieces, and when you look back at some of the things in your life, I'm sure you can think of something where this had to happen and this had to happen for these things to come together, right? And in those moments you might've been in a wilderness season. God, where are you in this? Where, what are you doing? How much longer? And then you look back and go, aha, I have this job, I have this marriage, I have this relationship, I've got this family, I've got whatever the blessing may be. Aha. aha. And it's very easy as to say we would never give up when we're pursuing something we really want, right? I really want to finish this race. I really want to save money to buy whatever. And we won't give up because we have our mindset on something that we know and see and we want. Or if there's something that's relatively easy, no one really quits the easy stuff. But when there are unknowns involved, how will the send, when will the send, or doubts and fears start overcoming our will and our discipline. And as I began preparing for this message a few weeks ago, I intended to talk about the differences between quitting, yielding, and surrendering. They and are, they are slightly different. And it is true that there are some subtle differences, especially when we consider yielding is, is giving way to something, right? And, and, and some of these other ones, you know, they surrender means just throw your hands up and just give up, you know. I plan to share a message from God's word about the things we should quit, the times we should yield, And what is appropriate and advisable when it's advisable to surrender. And there are scriptural reasons to do this. And you can think of them and I'll mention them. But I don't want that to be the focus of this message. As I continued to study scripture to get ready for the topic, I kept catching myself getting hung up on the semantics. Which I do. Don't I, dear? Words have meaning. They're very important. I've never won an argument arguing the meaning of a word, though. So I need to let that go. But I needed to focus on the message and not the word, right? So I needed to quit doing that and yield to the message that was of real importance. So let's consider that quitting, which means to leave or to stop, and yielding, which means to give way, and surrendering, which means to cease resistance and submit to authority. Let's just kind of bunch all that together for the sake of this morning's message. And say the Pharaoh of Egypt, right, the one that had enslaved the people and were pursuing them, as they were, uh, the Israelites as they, were, as they were leaving, he would have been better off if he had known when to quit, right? He never stopped pursuing Israel. And it it, it cost them. It cost him plagues. It cost them the lives of men. Israel also suffered greatly because they would not quit worshiping false gods. And these were all in the story of the Exodus. They would not because they became restless and they would create altars and false gods because they were restless waiting for the real God to deliver them. I often say the reason it took 40 years wasn't because the promised land wasn't ready for them but because they were not yet ready for it. And the nation of Israel um, came under wrath of God several times because Israelites did not abandon evil acts even though it had been warned. Most of the book of Isaiah is speaking about you know, what the Israelites were doing or were going to do and, and how that would not sit well with God. But we need to fix our eyes on the truth of the one and only God and follow him. And the reward for that, for seeking him first, is eternal life. And we talked about that last week. We need to learn to quit fighting against him and submit to his will instead. Now, I would never fight against God. That's ridiculous. Number one, you wouldn't win, right? But why would you do it as a a moral principle? But you realize when he tells you thou shalt not and you do, you're fighting him? When it's as simple as trust me and you get worried, you're fighting him. It's tough and it's convicting. It's a little convicting. I'm speaking to myself here. When Christians use terms like surrender, it is often in regard to that first decision we make to become a follower of Jesus, right? I'm surrendering my life. Completely correct and appropriate. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus and his teachings. We tend to believe that this is the one big single decision and it is the biggest decision you'll make. A decision of huge importance. Absolutely true. The reality is that because this life we experience on earth is full of all the trials and temptations and troubles, right? This one big single decision is actually thousands and and perhaps millions of smaller decisions that we must make throughout our lives. In the face of adversity and fears and compulsions, we must immediately make a decision: am I going to trust God? Am I gonna rely on his strength to be my own? Am I gonna choose him over this activity or stuff that I'm tempted by? In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says these words. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In Luke's account found in chapter nine, verse 23, he says, take up your cross daily, okay? Daily. It's not a one-time decision. Surrender does not start with that, or sorry, surrender does start with that critically important decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it continues with every nudging, you get to do something for someone else, to love and forgive another person, to have hope when it would seem easier to not. Last week I shared a verse from the crucifixion story as it relates to our life and the kingdom after we lose our life here on earth. It was the man on the cross next to Jesus who just before his death asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. And he was yielding. He was submitting to Jesus and in Jesus' authority. And then what did Jesus say in response? These are his words from scripture. He says, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise, heaven. The good news is that you do not have to wait until the 11th hour to claim that kind of victory that can only be or that it can only come through surrender. Now, there's a little bit of good news. We worry about people, do they know Christ before they died? We don't know what they, decision they made, but we know in our hearts that I would like to have every minute of blessing I can. I don't want to wait till then to experience the fullness and abundance of life that God has intended for me, the same one he has intended for you. If you have not already surrendered, you can do it today, right now. And this is a big surrender, and it looks like this. You profess your faith right? It doesn't have to be very grandiose. You just say, God, I I know who you are. Accept who you are. You love me. I love you. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Thank you for, for taking my sins on the cross. So I know that there's a path of forgiveness. And the exact words are not as important as what they mean. And if you have not been baptized, you take that step as well. God has made a commitment to you and it is yours to claim. If you have already made your commitment to him but want to reaffirm your decision, profess your faith, repent for your sins, thank him for his faithfulness to you and recommit your life to him. Surrender. It doesn't mean that, that whatever you had done before didn't count. Well, I had been baptized so it, you know, it, it must not have taken because I'm still having trouble. No, in this life you will have troubles. Okay? You do not need to be rebaptized, but sometimes we need the reminder of the commitments we make, right? We call those wedding anniversaries. <laughs> um, and it does not have to be elaborate or well spoken. God wants your heart, not just your words, not your performance. He wants your heart. And when you yield your life to Him, you will have the words that you need to say to make that victorious surrender. And there are certain times to simply go before the Lord in a broken and humble manner and surrender. And don't worry about what people think. That was very humbling for your boss, you know, to say, guys, listen. And I don't know the context of how she did it or how she did it, but that's it's humble. And it's humbling to say, Guys, I need a prayer. Guys, would you pray for me? I'm really struggling with this. Or maybe you don't even say words at all, but your face shows that you're broken. You don't worry about that. Sometimes you just simply go before the Lord just as you are. And these are the times that you are truly seeking him wholeheartedly. The way that he designed you to. At today's Pentecost, you notice that the colors on the pulpit altar have been changed to red. And the word Pentecost in the Greek word means 50th. It is a time of the Jewish festival celebrating the 50th day after the first fruits. It's also called the Festival of Weeks. Now, we don't celebrate the festival weeks. There are a lot of actually European countries that have Pentecost as a recognized holiday, but we certainly acknowledge what happened on this day. During our Sunday morning Bible study, we're we're working through the book of Acts, which is written chronologically after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in many respects, it is the story of the early church as the disciples, you know, having been sent forward now, continued the work that Jesus had begun while he was still with them. In the second chapter of Acts, we find them in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Weeks. Peter wrote the words of this week's scripture, remember, from Acts 2, 1 through 2 uh, that Mark read. It says, When a day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, on the night when Jesus was betrayed while breaking bread with the disciples, we call this the Last Supper, we celebrate with communion, he shared that he would be leaving them soon. In John 14, 15 through 17, it says, if you love me, these are his words, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, he calls it. The world cannot accept him because it never sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and be, will be in you. Other translations first use the words counselor or helper. Maybe you've heard that. I will send a helper. During the Pentecost, it is the arrival of this helper that is experienced by the disciples. This day was foretold in Matthew 3.11. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance. Okay? He says, But one who is more powerful than I am coming after me, I am not worthy to carry his sandals. And some of them say, even worthy to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In Luke 24 through 49, Jesus appearing to the disciples after his resurrection reminded them of the prophecies of his life and death being fulfilled. So I wanna read just beginning in verse 36. It says, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and terrified. Rightfully so, they just saw this man buried and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet so that I... See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them these words, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, which he did. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, which did. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending you upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and he was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. And this is where we find him them on Pentecost. And Acts 1, 4 through 5 captures Peter's recollection of this instruction. It says, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you see how God is working these pieces together? He had a prophecy told in, in, through Moses and in Psalms and Isaiah. And then there was the promise made and the promise kept. Now... We know that the Holy Spirit came upon them as they were gathered in Jerusalem, just as Jesus had promised. This was made possible because they yielded to God's authority, setting aside their fear, their doubts and resistance. And to remember that these men had given up their lives as they knew them. They left their jobs, their family, their friends, their, home, their hometowns, their careers, to follow this man and to hear his teachings. They were all in, all in. And they witnessed the way he was despised, despite his miracles. He was despised. He was beaten. He was murdered. And surely there were moments that they thought, what do we do now? Our teacher is gone. Killed for what he was doing and we are doing the same thing. Surely they were wondered if they were gonna be next. A lot of them did. Meet horrible deaths. But they stopped worrying and surrendered their own will, thus making room for the Holy Spirit that was promised to them. Friends, do you know that the same thing has been promised to you? The very same thing. We began worship this morning by singing the song with the words, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Do you believe that? Is it welcome here? Is it welcome by you, within you? Have you invited the Holy Spirit to say, dwell within me? I need that help. Have you quit worrying or competing or resenting or being afraid? Have you yielded to God's authority, his plans and his purpose for you? Have you surrendered that control that you want and think you have and given it to the one that actually has control and can actually do something with it and has the wisdom to know what? Have you humbled yourself and surrendered your life so that you may have a life eternal? You see, real change is possible, and it's hard for us to believe. I can't change that person, can't change whatever. And I said, you know, try harder, Christianity doesn't work. Try again, Christianity does. That's why you pick up your cross daily. But when you accept Jesus as your savior, when you forget accept God's forgiveness of your sins, when you accept the Holy Spirit in your life, you are changed. You can't help it. If you if let down that resistance to let that happen, there is, there is no resisting the change that happens. Your outlook, your perspective, everything about you changes. So shame on us when we say, I can't get better, I can't be different. That person will never change. They have to. They have to. Now each week I include words of invitation. It's usually a soft invite. I, I encourage you to talk to me. It's often what I say. You know, if you have a question about what we're talking about, if, if you're having trouble recognizing or seeing this, I'd say, come speak to me. And, and I'm blessed because many of you take advantage of that invitation to speak to me in person or by text after the service and throughout the week. And I, I love that. I welcome that. You know, my role, I, I, I claim that I'm not a good multitasker. and I, I must be better than I think I am because the role up here is is many faceted, you know, I'm preaching on Wednesday night and Sunday morning or during Bible study. And then even during a part of this, I'm teaching. Right. And, and if you need me to do a funeral or wedding, I'm ministering. Right. But the big job is pastoring. And that is helping you into that relationship. And I'm accountable for that. Not only do I have to answer someday for what I've done, I have to answer for everybody that I've, I've tried to help along the way. Did I do what I could to help you into a relationship with Jesus, to understand God's promise for you? Okay? I don't take that lightly. So this morning, I wanna be very clear and very bold with my invitation. If you need a prayer, if you need a word of encouragement, if you would like to make a decision to claim Jesus as your Lord or Savior, if you're ready to invite the Holy Spirit to dwell with me, come see me see me. And if you have already made your decision but would like to reaffirm it, it doesn't take away from what you've already done, but if you just say, I just want I just need to say it again out loud what I'm doing. Not because God needs you to do what you've already done, but because you need the spiritual recharge and profession of your faith. Come see me. And I'm going to close with a word of prayer, and then we're going to conclude our worship with another song. The song is titled Touch the Sky. And it echoes our heart as we humble ourselves and say, I touch the sky when my knees hit the ground. That's humbling. Let's pray. Father God, you are so amazing. Not only do you hear and you care, but Lord, you invite and accept. Lord, our entire lives from the moment we were created, you've had your hand reach out to us saying, here I am, take my hand. And as young children, we learn to walk and we rely so heavily on, on our parents. And at some point as parents, we, we step back and we let our kids walk on their own, no longer lean on us. As we teach our kids to ride their bike as they get older, we teach them that we let go and they go without us. God, your, your desire is the complete opposite. The more we walk, the more we travel through this life, you want us to lean and rely more and more on you because that is where our strength, our courage, our stability, and our hope lies. Father God, I hope this week that you have spoken to us and you've rekindled within our hearts a desire to have you dwell there. Lord, we desire to be in a relationship with you, but you desire one with us even more than that. God, as always, I just want to conclude by thanking you for this church, not only this building that that so many have contributed to over the years and those who have passed through here and will pass through here in the future. But the church that exists, established in the book of Acts, it says this global body of believers in you. Now we may vary on our practices, we may vary on the way we say a word or a prayer or a song, but Lord, there is one God and that is you and that is who you are and that is who we worship. So this morning, all across the world, as people gather like this on Sunday morning, may all we do Honor and glorify you. Amen.